0: Our Father, we are thankful, and we thank we thank you for all things we are praising your name. You are the one who is sovereign, not us, certainly, not any man, though we look to men often uh, or other leaders, men or women who can lead and guide, who have wisdom uh and uh, virtue uh we know that, Father, you're the only one who truly rules this world, and similarly for our nation. So, Father, we commit our president, though, and those that serve with him, uh, to you for your care, your provision, and your encouragement. And I pray, Father, that they would be able to lead this nation in the way it should go. Uh For that to happen, of course, we need our people to provide the support that's needed, and that's the real large issue, Father. Politics uh, ends up dominating so much. So, Father, uh, we just commit them to you in, in every level of government, those that would serve you faithfully. I pray, Father, that they would be encouraged and that they would be successful in their efforts. Father, I pray for our time together now that you'd bless us. As we open your word, pray that you'd give us instruction and encouragement in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, well we are in the final section here on what, what in a sense is the last page. Uh <clears throat> we're we're nearly in the last page of the Bible actually. Um or are depending upon how you uh, break it up. And I wondered about what I should call our uh, teaching today and decided that it should be called the culmination of the eternal plan of Almighty God. The culmination of the eternal plan of Almighty God and there's been something on my mind from secular literature recently because it, it it's being illustrated so much here as we study God's word and the entire uh bible is a testimony to this but uh if you go back to shakespeare to the great play hamlet uh not long after the play begins it's in act 1 scene 5 there's a discussion between several people who are keyed to the whole plot. And one of them is named Horatio, and he's a very worldly man, a very practical fellow, well accomplished at at a young age, but really worldly in his thinking. (laughs) So this is what's said to him. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. (laughs) There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. What a sad thing. Horatio didn't have any knowledge of what God was doing, right? He only knew what he was doing and what certain others were doing and how they might succeed or fail under the circumstances. Uh, He was Hamlet's sort of friend, uh, if I remember right, a friend from college, from university, right? And uh, yet, what he had learned in his life so far was uh, nothing uh, <laughs> that was truly enduring or eternal. Um, and and when we approach Scripture today, I, I think that it's with that perspective that we should approach Scripture. Um, God says, "Let God be true, and every man a liar." Right. <laughs> Uh, the lies dominate uh, the human mind and uh, apart from scripture where do we find truth and uh, and how can we know that truth except by study careful study of god's word as the holy spirit uh, enlightens us as we take the truth of god in it spiritual food for us right and we know then what god has planned for them that Love him. And that reminds me of a great scripture in 1 Corinthians that I'll read to you quickly here to set the stage. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. Well, I, I really have to start in verse 6, I guess. I'm trying to minimize how long it takes to read these scriptures. We have so much to cover, but beginning in verse 6. We speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, Eye hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. For God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. And that's what we've been learning about as we've studied the long war against God from the beginning of Genesis, now all the way down to the book of Revelation. It's taken two and a half years to get to this culminating point uh, to see how the plan of God ultimately uh works out. God has done everything according to his plan, right? Satan's always interfered. And as we've looked at that conflict between Satan and God, from Genesis onwards, we've seen that there's a dispensational plan in place in each of these periods of time, right? And that dispensational plan is what I want to focus on today. Um, Satan observes well. His mind is very uh, (laughs) well-tuned to sin and rebellion. After all, he's the source of it, right? He understands Uh, much about what's going on, but he doesn't understand how God works. All he can do is examine uh, the people of God uh, and and respond to that. He wants to confront. He wants to conflict. He wants to thwart the, the work and plan of God, right? That's always Satan's desire. And so in the dispensational plan of God, what we've seen as we look down through these different periods of time is how... God laid principles in place that were to govern the life of the believer, right? And and then how Satan tried to interfere with that. And through that interference, of course, confused everything. Not only the believer's life, certainly, but the whole rest of the world, you know. The unbelievers are always under his power and control. So under these different dispensational periods... Satan works in a way that he thinks is going to prevent God from carrying out his plan. And the ultimate plan has to do with the seed of the woman. So that's the theme that goes through the entire scripture, right? And in every dispensational period, you have Satan working to, to cover up the knowledge of God concerning the seed of the woman. Because it's through the seed of the woman that Satan ultimately will meet his total defeat and end, right? Uh, So today I want us to sort of look at this uh, from a dispensational context and point of view as we uh, finish up this long study in God's Word. First of all, there is uh, this issue of the new heavens and the new earth, uh, providing sort of the uh, closing chapter on the Bible and on the plan of God uh, as it's been revealed, right? The new heavens and the new earth will eventually come. And there's a principle, we talked about it the last couple of times, and uh, we'll start out there today just to kind of complete this idea. But this is the principle of near and far fulfillment. But when it comes to that, uh, <laughs> it's sort of, at it's limits that we're looking at that now. When we look at the new heavens and the new earth, we're looking at the culmination, the final uh, chapter, as it were. Now, that chapter will never have an end, okay? And that chapter isn't the dispensational one. There's nothing, uh, no dispensation in effect any longer at that point. And you'll, we'll see why as we go ahead today. The dispensations have ended at that point. The last Dispensation is the kingdom. When that's finished, the dispensational plan of God is over. And we'll understand why that is as we go along here today. Okay, so the principle of near and far fulfillment and its limits. Well, if we want to find an example of near and far fulfillment, there's really no better place, I'm sure, than just to look at prophecies relating to the coming of the seed of the woman, right? Because that's, in the, as I've said, that's that's the scarlet thread through the whole Bible, right? So I want uh, <clears throat> Linda to read there. There are two verses in Isaiah 9 that uh, state this so well. So, uh, Linda, would you please read there from Isaiah 9, uh, verses 6 and 7?
1: If the Lord had blessed me with a voice, I'd sing this for you. <laughs>
0: Oh, yes, uh, please.
1: (laughs) For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and the peace there shall be no end, upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and justice. For henceforth, Ever, forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this.
0: That's good singing, Linda. Thank you so much. Ah, uh, Yes, yes. <clears throat> um, well, I think in Handel's Messiah we have it, <laughs> right? Uh, how many times have we heard this, and yet maybe you haven't really understood it so well. When we hear things over and over and over again, um, sometimes we sort of begin to miss the whole point of it. But (laughs) what we have here is a statement. It's very clearly stated, but there's both a near and a far fulfillment, okay? The near fulfillment is that the child was born, right? So when... The Holy Spirit came upon Mary and she conceived the child And in nine months. In fact, in that case, I think it was exactly nine months to the day. The child was born, right? And that is our Lord Jesus, right? But it says also here, unto us a son is given. And then it goes on and only talks about that. It's not about the child here that stated it had to precede the uh, the declaration of Christ as the son of God, right? Uh, but to be the son means to be the heir, right? And so you see the implications of that. Even there, though, in that statement, there's both a near and a far uh, fulfillment, <clears throat> because the near fulfillment is in the kingdom itself, right? In the millennial kingdom, right? It says there, of the increase of his government and peace, upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and justice and so forth. But then it says, there'll be no end to this. And it says, it's forever and ever, right? Well, but that's not what the kingdom, the kingdom is exactly a thousand years long and then it ends. And it ends with the great white throne judgment. There's imperfection in the kingdom. Now this is something that's totally ignored by those who do not rightly divide the word, do not take scripture literally, they think uh, the kingdom is heaven. It's the eternal state. Or it's today somehow, I don't know how they could think that, (laughs) but eventually heaven, right? So um, these scriptures are not taken literally enough to understand them by many, which is a very, very sad thing. So it says here several things that have near fulfillments or foreshadowings of the final completion of the promise, right? The bringing to pass exactly in all of its perfection what God has ordained, right? Where sin has no place at all and cannot be found, when there's no unbeliever left, to oppose the plan of God when Satan himself as the great liar and deceiver is put into the lake of fire forever right no more to influence anyone and that's what these two verses are looking forward to is so there's a near and then later fulfillments and finally the perfect has come okay so that's what we see here in just two verses now there were other scriptures we've looked at where you see uh, details about the coming kingdom the millennial kingdom right where where there's the temple mentioned right but again in in nearly all of those prophecies there was going to be both a near and a far fulfillment because eventually there'll be a new jerusalem that comes down from heaven right and it will be so large, it's going to be 1,500 miles on a side, right? Not like the New Jerusalem in the Millennial Kingdom, which will be far, far smaller, okay? I mean, the whole promised land isn't 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, right? So, near fulfillment and far. The near shows an imperfect uh, world. Even with Christ living, you know, living in that world, resurrected, even sitting on the on on, on the throne of glory, even ruling with the rod of iron. If you have to rule with the rod of iron, that means there are enemies, right? <laughs> Those enemies haven't yet been removed. So the kingdom, it may, the streets may be paved with gold, and and the walls and gates uh, of, of fine uh, materials, indeed, right? That we can't even conceive of the value of today. But streets paved with gold don't resolve every issue, right? (laughs) What about those who are outside the gates? Those who aren't even allowed yet, you know? What about the nations? Have the nations been saved? You know, there are promises in God's word concerning, concerning the nations, right? And their salvation. So there's so much yet to be done once the kingdom is established. And the judgment upon sin is a large part of that. Um, Roy, I'd like you to read uh, a scripture that talks about the the early, the near fulfillment, and then we'll look at the scriptures that that relate to the far fulfillment uh, of God's promises regarding land, and a city, and even a temple. So, Roy. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. He that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Thank you, Roy. Okay, so the temple is going to exist, definitely, uh, in the kingdom world, all right? And it'll be in the New Jerusalem. In fact, it'll be the center point uh, of, of that location. And that city is going to come down from heaven. That temple is not going to be made with human hands, right? Uh, we saw from other scriptures that it will be Christ himself, who builds the temple, okay, that temple, that kingdom temple, they will not be getting a bunch of bricklayers together and, and, and steel workers and so forth uh, at that time to create that that building. No, it'll be built in ways that we can't even conceive of today. But that doesn't mean ultimate perfection will exist there. It will certainly exist inside the temple. But they'll still be offering sacrifices, right? We saw that from many portions of the word of God before. So that Revelation 3.12 promise is about a city that will come down from heaven. It's about the promised land. It's about the uh, the temple. Uh, these things will be done according to the rule of God precisely, right? And it's about a people that will be saved here they're called overcomers right um, him that overcometh will i make a pillar in the temple of my god right so that's what revelation 3:12 is about it's it's in chapter 3 of revelation which is during the tribulation period that this is written uh, and it's looking forward it's to give hope to those who have to endure the enemy during the tribulation period and if when they do they're overcomers okay they're they're the ones that endure that they do not receive the mark of the beast and they are then uh, taken into the kingdom when christ returns to the earth sur- again right this is all after the rapture has occurred okay so this is all about the millennial kingdom but if we look down to the end of the book of revelation we see some similar language only now we're looking after the kingdom has ended. So Revelation 21, Patty, can you read? Uh, First, I'm just going to read two verses. Then you can read the ones I've requested, verses 10, 16, and 22. But first, uh, Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Those are key, a key designation there. A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea and I John saw the holy city new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband right okay now this is looking for looking forward even past the millennium now we are to the point he says where there will be a new heaven and a new earth you might ask the question it's a fair question why do you need a new heaven what's wrong with that right <laughs> Uh, New Earth, that's much easier to understand. But the Earth and the kingdom is is certainly transformed too, right, from what it is today. Remember, the whole animal kingdom will be changed and so forth and so on. And There will be universal healing at the beginning of the kingdom. And uh, if you're 100 years old when you you die, you're like a child, right? People will be living the entire length of the kingdom. Uh, So... That's this, the, the prospect he has here is that this vision is of that time after the kingdoms ended. So Patty, please read verses ten, sixteen, and twenty two to see even more of this.
1: <clears throat> and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Verse 16, And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. Verse 22, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it.
0: Okay, so even there you begin to see why the new heaven needed to be reconstituted compared to the old. Because you remember now, the old heaven is a remarkable place. It's what we see around us today, okay? And there are things there that were put there for a purpose, right? Remember in Genesis it said, God created the sun, are light for the day and the moon to rule the night right and to be for times and seasons okay and signs okay so the heavens that exist right now are there for a purpose and they have a meaning they communicate they communicate the truth of god if only people were aware of it right and they're used by God in reference to his own people. He promises to them, you will endure all of these trials as long as those signs are there in the heavens. That's the proof, right? So when when we look at the heavenly uh, um, objects, we see perfect order, right? And, and cycles in time, some short cycles like uh, day and night, some longer like, New moon to full moon, right? Some much longer, like, you know, summer, solstice, winter, right? Uh, and some even far longer than that, right? So it's very orderly. Everything is happening according to the laws of God. And that's to indicate that God is in ultimate control. And even on this earth, God is in control. So when his people, Israel, find themselves in great trial, even in exile, for example, the promises come through the prophets to say, just look at the heavens. There you'll see the proof that I will accomplish my final purpose for you someday. My promises will be kept uh, in my good timing, okay? And and so here uh, we see that time coming fully to pass, right? See, in the millennial kingdom, you still have... Uh, the old heavens. You haven't received the new heavens yet. That will be afterwards. Um, so in all of this, we see near and far fulfillments, right? If we study carefully, we'll see them. Uh, now, what about the divine purpose behind this kingdom? I think one thing we haven't done here is to talk about much about that. Uh, we, In fact, we haven't really talked a lot about the dispensational um, plan of God, sort of in the highest sense. We have touched with it, certainly, but we haven't considered it in the way I want to consider it right now, quickly. Uh, the, the whole, because see, eventually the dispensational plan will be over, right? And it will be in what we could call the eternal state, right? Uh, but while the dispensations are still operating, God is using them for a purpose, and that purpose uh, may not be so clear to you, uh, because unless we rightly divide the word, we won't even know what these purposes are, right? But if we don't know what the purpose of God is in a given period of time, then we don't know really what God is doing, right? So in general, the purpose behind the millennial kingdom is as follows, first of all that the Lord Jesus Christ will be exalted, right? He will be exalted as Lord over all, as Redeemer, as Savior, right? Of all, there's no salvation through any other, right? And as prophet, priest, and king, and we've looked at that in detail, right? Uh, That's one purpose for the millennial kingdom. Satan and all of his emissaries, all of his servants, have been bound in the bottomless pit. They're not even around during that 1,000-year period. So that Christ can be exalted without interference by Satan and his servants is critical. That's what God is doing in the kingdom. He's exalting him that way, right? The Son of God sitting on a throne ruling. Now, we're thinking, you know, we're, we're living under grace. We're thinking about the Lord Jesus as our Savior and precious thing. The shed blood has, has taken away our sin, right, and the penalty for it. And we have this perfect fellowship uh, under grace. But in the kingdom, there's going to be a rule on the earth. It's going to be a government, a perfect government, right, ruling over what is not perfect. There'll still be many in, in sin, with sin nature. There'll be those who've been resurrected, yes, but there'll be many with, with the sin nature still. There'll still be rebellion. There's a reason why they'll have to bring sacrifices, right? Um, but there'll also be unsaved nations that ultimately will be used by Satan. See, at the end of the thousand years, he's going to be released. There'll be a great turning away from Christ, even though Christ is sitting on the throne, right? The enemies will now be abundantly uh, uh, visible and at work. And there will be many led astray, led off to follow after Satan and so forth at that time, okay? This great, great rebellion will be put down and then the final judgment will occur. So the purpose of the millennial kingdom is certainly to exalt our Lord Jesus it's also to fulfill the promises made to the fathers, right for the land of course and and so forth uh, and it's to bring blessing through Israel to the nations Israel will be evangelistic <laughs> they will bring the message of the Lord to the nations during this one thousand year period, okay but there's more to it than that. Dispensationally, there's more to it, okay? Because the dispensation of the kingdom is not the end of the line. The new heavens and the new earth is. Not the dispensation of the kingdom, okay? So dispensationally, the, dispensa- the, the, the purpose for the kingdom is that the tests will prove something. The tests. Every dispensation has a test or multiple tests associated with it, and the end is always failure. Every dispensation proves something about the heart of man. Every one. Okay, so, for example, under the promise, under the dispensation of the promise. Abraham is given promises, right? and Not a, not a law. He's given promises. He's supposed to wander around, and God's going to take care of him, right? And the test is whether he will abide by the in faith, in faith to the promises, right? Instead of like going off to Egypt and things like this, right? Or sending his wife off to to be the concubine of Pharaoh, or or Abimelech, or in the case of Isaac, you know, I, you know these things were all um, contrary to the true faith, not not because they were under a law, because God was working directly in them uh, through the promise, right? So under the terms of the promise, what did they want? You saw how it all ended. Finally, what do the children of Israel say after they've been brought out of bondage in Egypt? They say, we want law, We you tell us what to do and we're going to do it, which was a lie, okay? They were in gross idolatry. So they were living under the promise, but they wanted the rule of law. Under the Mosaic law, what does the heart of man want? It wants liberty, freedom, right? Oh, we want grace, we don't want law. <laughs> and and uh, under the terms of grace that so we're living under day, today, what do people want, you know? <laughs> They they, they, oh, they want religion, right? They, they want to fall in line with a certain system uh, instead of re- rejoicing in the full abundance of grace. Under the kingdom, what does the heart of man want? Now, at that point, you've got Christ sitting on a throne. He's visible, right? He's ruling with a rod of iron. What do the people want under the terms of the kingdom? They certainly don't want what God wants, at least in large part. And you see rebellion mounting here and there and everywhere, right? Just to escape from the bondage of the law, which is overwhelming to them, right? And so you, you have evil appearing here and there during the millennial kingdom. And if you look at Zechariah chapter five and uh, verses one through four, we're not going there right now, but whenever evil appears, Uh, During that 1,000 years, when it openly appears, (laughs) there's a flying scroll that comes out and goes around and actually destroys, I mean totally, not only the sinner, but the whole house of sin. Okay, It's just removed. So open rebellion and sin is destroyed in the kingdom as the law of the kingdom is executed. But there's still the sin nature in many. People, when a law is placed upon them, they want to escape. They want to break the law. It's the nature of sin dwelling within, right? So this is the way it goes. The the kingdom is not a perfect place. Now, we have to understand this. We have the perfect king, right? The perfect prophet, All of these things are as perfect as anything could be in the kingdom. But the heart of man is still corrupt, and there's still rebellion that needs to be taken out, that needs to be put down, and so forth and so on. So don't think of the kingdom as this glorious place, which is sort of the end of the line. It's not the end of the line. It's not the final chapter. Well it is <laughs> it's the final chapter of the long war against God okay and at the end of it what's going to happen it's going to happen at the end of it is that sin is going to be judged once and for all so the purpose for dispensations is to reveal something about man and it's a negative <laughs> The purpose of the law was to reveal something about man that they simply would not and could not live up to it, right, to its terms. Uh, and what did it do? Therefore, it 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 condemned them, right? <laughs> it was inevitable. Now, uh, we get to Revelation chapter chapter twenty, and uh, Lisa's not here, so I will read those verses. Because what we see is that before the new heavens and the new earth can be established, sin has to finally be dealt with. Absolutely. Okay? Uh, Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 15. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Once this final judgment has occurred, by the way, we won't be there at the great white throne judgment because we've already been judged when we came to meet Christ, called into the air, right? And you'll have the judgment seat of Christ there. Uh, But eventually there will be this great white throne judgment. And all those that have not already been judged will be judged at this time. And those whose names are not found written in the book of life, will be cast into the lake of fire. So the final judgment is going to deal with everything else that remains that could possibly distract or take away from the full revelation of the glory of God, right? And not just the glory of God, but the glory of man, because man will be right in the center of the glory of God forever, right? And that's what happens in the new heavens and the new earth, okay? And (laughs) there are statements to this effect. The Lord said, for example, in Matthew 24, we have it recorded He says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Okay? So there will be a final conclusion to all of this. Uh, In Hebrews 1, it's, it's said this way, verse 10. Thou, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. They shall all wax old, and as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. They shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. All the verses that mention the new heavens and the new earth look forward to that time, right? Um, Isaiah 65, verse 17. Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Okay. Isaiah 66, 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. So even Israel is going to continue on as a people, distinct from the Gentiles, forever. It says so right here. But Now the, the proof of that will be the new heavens, right, in which there won't be sun and moon bringing the light, but the Lamb himself will be the light. Right, There will be no other need for light in the new heavens and the new earth. Well, as a final scripture for all of this, I'd like Linda to read it for us. It's out of Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah 51 and verse 6 looks forward to that time, finally, the beginning of the eternal state in the new heavens and the new earth. Linda, would you read Isaiah 51 verse 6, please?
1: Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look upon the earth beneath. For the heavens shall vanish away like smoke and the earth shall wax old like a garment. And they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever and my righteousness shall not be abolished.
0: Thank you, Linda. and and, uh, uh, That's when the new heavens and the new earth will be brought to pass. Never to need any improvement again after that. That'll be the final chapter, and it will be never-ending, right? Uh, There will no longer be tests for sinners to see if they can comply, (laughs) (laughs) before there will be perfect fellowship, it will be very much like in the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve fell into sin and rebellion, right? Very much like that, when there's perfect fellowship. Remember, they walked in the cool of the day, right, Uh, to fellowship with their creator, the Lord God himself, right? What... A wonderful time that will be. Paul writes in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. (laughs) He says, eventually all things will be put under his feet. That is uh, uh, the Lord Jesus, right? All things will be put under his feet. Uh, That's in the kingdom itself. But then it says, then finally... When all things have been subdu- subdued unto him, then shall also the Son himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Even the Son will be quite uh, satisfied to submit to the Father, right, in the eternal state, that God may be all in all. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that day. Well, next time I'm going to look at the three realms of blessing, because in most of this we have not been present as the church, the body of Christ, because God had a different plan for us uh <laughs> than for Israel and the nations. Okay? Different plan. But an exalted and glorious and heavenly future, right? So praise the Lord for that. We'll look at that next time, too finish this whole study in the long war against God. Well, are there any uh, comments or questions today before we go to the Lord in prayer?
1: In, in that last scripture, it says, they that dwell therein shall die in like manner." Yes. Of those people who are still in rebellion during the thousand years?
0: Yes. Yeah, at the end of it, that they'll be taken care of. Yes.
1: So Just then... Seem- be- <laughs> well, I was going to say... With all the opportunities that these people have, that he's speaking of here, we shouldn't be amazed when people rebel today.
0: (laughs) No, no. when today you can't even see the king on the throne, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Gee, absolutely true. And uh, yet even then, so see, what the kingdom will show is how thoroughly corrupt the heart of man is. That even when you have the resurrected Christ ruling on the throne for a thousand years, they still are in rebellion. Yeah, it's totally amazing. We shouldn't be amazed at all uh But we are, we are, I have to say. Oh, any other comments or sharing before we go to the Lord in prayer? okay let's let's pray Father God, thank you, thank you uh the great preserved book uh starting in Genesis, ending in revelation, Father, that is the source of our truth. We're so thankful for that, and as we've traced the the scarlet thread through the entire Bible, we see that ultimately the shed blood of Christ will be exalted as the only. The only uh, solution for the problem of sin, and uh, those that know you, Father, by faith, not by works, but by faith, uh, will shine as stars in one way or another for all eternity, whether on this earth, in the new heavens and the new earth, or or in the heavenlies where we have our inheritance. Father, praise your name and the name of your Son. Thank you so much for intersecting with our lives at some point to bring us to saving faith. Thank you that your power was so great, even the enemy of our souls couldn't prevent that, uh, that salvation from occurring. Thank you, Father, for this gift of faith and what a precious gift it is. And thank you for blessing us each day. And though the trials are great here and for most and even in death, That death is merely the entry point, Father, uh, into your presence. So we rejoice in that. Please watch over our dear friends, some who suffer very, very greatly. And please encourage us, Father, as we look forward to that day. And we're listening, Father, we're listening for the shout and the call and the voice of the archangel. May that be even uh, soon, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.